Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. Episode 10, Life Lessons. I'm Enid O'Turn. In this episode, I have another horrible few weeks as I battle more weather and aircraft technical issues, I have an argument with two storm cells, and I learn a valuable lesson when dealing with an attempted armed robbery. weeks or months in your life where everything goes disastrously wrong, when everything that you try to achieve seems to be unreachable. Well, I was definitely having one of those months, it seemed. The operation was busier than ever, and I don't think there was an airport in the country that we had not been to. It was the wet season, and it was proving to be a particularly challenging one. We were flying heavily for Coca-Cola this particular week, back and forth to Abuja, ferrying executives to a conference. On arrival early one morning for an 0700 AM departure, I checked in with the operations department to get ahead of the schedule for that day. We had four flights in total back and forth to Abuja. The day did not start well. I completed my walk-round checks of the aircraft, and this included checking the fuel state. Overnight, it was always the procedure to try and keep at least the main tanks full, and then, depending on your passenger load, you could elect to keep the auxiliary tanks empty or fill them up if you needed the extra fuel. I always took extra fuel with me if my payload allowed, as it gave me additional options over and above what was legally required. With the King Air, the fuel quantity is measured by a capacitance system which reads out the pounds of fuel on the left and right gauges. A switch between the gauges allows the pilot to monitor the main or the auxiliary fuel levels. On this occasion, I had ordered full tanks, both main and ox, on arriving that morning. Whilst checking the gauges that morning, though, I saw what I was used to seeing. And that would be my downfall. To this day, this one incident haunts me. Luckily for me, the chain of error was broken before it became an accident and further checks resulted in catching the mistake, but not, however, before I made the same mistake again on the pre-start checklist phase, which required me to cross-check fuel quantity with the load sheet. It was only whilst waiting at the holding point, awaiting a takeoff clearance, that I rechecked the gauges and found that I had less than a quarter tank of fuel in the mains and no fuel in the auxiliary tanks. At first, I thought we'd had a gauge failure and then I realised what I'd done. Needless to say, we had to return to the ramp to refuel and this was logged as it impacted and delayed my passengers. I self-reported to my chief pilot and underwent further training. Because this could happen to anyone, the checklist was changed to ensure that both pilots confirmed the fuel state. I had learned a very valuable lesson, 
and it would never occur again. Interestingly, in 2019, an accident involving a King Air Beach 200 aircraft, the same as mine, in Canada was due to fuel starvation. The flight crew were repositioning the aircraft from Winnipeg, Manitoba to Nunavut, Manitoba with a captain and a captain under training on board, as well as two flight nurses, as this was an air ambulance aircraft. The captain under training realised that they needed to refuel the aircraft for the flight, having completed the fuel calculations as part of his planning. And he went in search of the refuelers, but he didn't find them. Resolving to do this a little later, as they were also waiting on a nurse to arrive, he continued his tasks. Needless to say, this element was forgotten, and in spite of checklist items relating to fuel checks and confirmation, fuel quantity was never cross-checked visually against the gauges. The chain of errors had begun with the refuelling delay and was followed by not carrying out visual confirmation, only verbal confirmation responses. Even in flight, the airmanship required was not carried out. The first the crew knew about it was approximately one and a half hours after takeoff when the left fuel pressure warning light illuminated, indicating low fuel. Like my own incident, familiarity breeds contempt. In the end, I was luckier than them and they were lucky to survive as the flight took place while still light and with fairly reasonable weather conditions, although deteriorating. They eventually crash-landed on a frozen lake, and the aircraft sustained substantial damage. Flight crews operate in a complex environment where there are multiple sources and types of information to monitor and keep track of. At the same time, human attention and the capacity to process information is limited. Pilots operating under conditions of high workload can become task-saturated and may channel their attention, concentrating on some tasks at the expense of others. In a time-critical situation, high workload can lead to human error or delayed decisions. The flight crew did not detect that there was insufficient fuel because the gauges had not been included in the periodic cockpit scans. Whilst my situation was a hard lesson to learn, it would have been much more serious if I had ignored further prompts and reminders as a result of our standard operating procedures and proceeded to get airborne. Throughout my life and career, I have always believed that you are continuously learning, no matter how familiar you think you are with a situation or task. From my perspective, if I wasn't learning something new or recognising my mistakes, I wasn't moving forward. I still love learning and I'm always into some new hobby or topic. And I think not being ashamed of admitting mistakes is something that has stood me in good stead all of my life. For a few months, we were flying multiple sectors just between the old and the new capital, Lagos and Abuja. We would depart Lagos and run a series of flights back and forth. As you can imagine, this was tiring and mundane, but it was a job that had to be done. We had already completed six sectors, 
and as late afternoon rolled in, we were ready to depart for our final sector, outbound to Abuja for a night stop. There were pockets of thunderstorms in the area, and I wanted to be airborne ahead of the deteriorating weather as soon as possible. Luckily, our passengers were on time, and we were refuelled, recatered, and loaded in good time. As we taxied out to the holding point to await our air traffic control clearance, I could see large cumulonimbus clouds all around the airport. It looked like we would be diverting round a number of them. After takeoff, we turned right to pick up our course. The weather radar showed large areas of thunderstorms moving in from the east. So between the radar and visual confirmation, I tried to pick up a course through it. Climbing through 15,000 feet, I spotted a gap between two storm cells and turned towards it in the hope of getting through and resuming course. All looked good. That was until both storm cells merged and cut off my escape route. We would just have to hang on until we punched through it. Tropical storm cells moved quickly and so would we. As we were in between the cells as they joined forces, we had one more gift. Lightning. Lightning moved cloud to cloud or cloud to ground. In any case, given that we were currently in between the two merging cells, it struck cloud to aircraft with the loudest of cracks. The aircraft lit up like a Christmas tree and the smell of burning was quite intense. I concentrated on the steep climb in order to get above the intensity of the storm. This wouldn't be the first time that I'd been struck and I was sure it wouldn't be the last. However, it was never a pleasant experience. We punched out the other side as we climbed through 20,000 feet. We had momentarily stopped being tossed around like a twig and I was able to get a look outside the aircraft. A Beechcraft King Air is equipped with 19 static wicks attached to areas of the airframe. Now, static wicks are long, thin extensions that are attached to the outboard trailing edges of the wings and horizontal and vertical stabilisers to dissipate the static electricity that can accumulate in flight. Indications of static electricity can include erroneous instrument readouts and or weak radio transmissions. Without them, static electricity builds up and can sometimes be visible, which results in the phenomenon that is St Elmo's fire. Once we had been struck, we were actually bathed in St Elmo's fire, which immediately made me think that our static discharge wicks had been compromised in some way. Little did I know. Our remaining journey had been uneventful and smooth as we flew north and away from the advancing storms that day. After landing and parking on the ramp, as I walked around examining the surfaces, I realised that all 19 static discharge wicks had been reduced to ash. This would necessitate a call to our maintenance department in Lagos, and the aircraft grounded as no more than three can be damaged at any one time according to our minimum equipment checklist. We ended up spending most of the next day on the ground, whilst our chief engineer took a commercial flight out to replace them all. He laughed as he walked towards the aircraft and said he had never had to replace a full set. I responded that I never did anything by halves. We flew back to Lagos that afternoon, after an eventful few days. I was looking forward to some well-earned rest. 
Life in Nigeria in the early 1990s was fraught with challenges. You were considered lucky if you had managed to escape the wide variety of daily threats to your very existence. Not many of us had in reality. Lagos, like any big city in Africa, was a work in progress and people flocked to the former capital in search of a better life and excitement. The downside to that was the high levels of traffic, people, pollution and crime. We had for a long time lived with the spectre of crime nipping at our heels. My father used to own a double-barrel shotgun and would not be afraid to use it against burglars if necessary. You can imagine what I as a child thought of that, given his state of mind and the persistent domestic abuse in my household. We had alarms and sirens as well, but as the years went by and the police force suffered from lack of funding and corruption, no one was going to come to your aid. The police were poorly armed, which often resulted in them being outgunned by armed robbery gangs. Car theft was rife. If you had a new and flashy car, it was a particular target, which is why I decided to drive a Volkswagen Jetta. A nice one, but nevertheless, a Jetta. There is, however, no accounting for stupidity. I have only ever once in my life come across a set of people who thought my Jetta was a Mercedes. Having had the most challenging of days, I arrived back home in my Jetta. And as I pulled up to my gate, I clocked a young man walking towards my car. I was always in a state of alert, having lived here for so long, and so I sensed this was not good. I have always been a fight, not flight person even if the situation called for caution. This did, but I couldn't control my impulse. I got out of my car and advanced on this man. He was holding something under a cloth in his hand, and as I started to confront him, our gate security guard yelled that he had a gun. Instead of retreating, I quickened my pace towards him. I couldn't turn and run at this stage, or they would have had the upper hand, so... I yelled at him in fury, something along the lines of, Are you stupid? You you want to steal my car? Seriously? My car? Over my dead body? Of course, this could well have been the case had he not decided that this completely mad woman advancing on him in full uniform was unusual. After all, most of his victims ran away or he shot them. Luckily for me, he possibly decided that I was either too mad, too unpredictable, or all of the above. Either way, he turned and ran, which was just as well as by now people had gathered and were sensing a good beating coming on as they turned and chased after him. Such is the Nigerian way. Once in my flat, I looked down at my hands and started shaking. My heart threatened to beat right out of my chest as the adrenaline coursed through me. I was a tough cookie born of years of abuse, but I was not invincible. And one day, I thought, I might just learn the hard way. Thank you for listening. As always, your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please do so on our social media sites. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send us an email. 
Our email address is theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com or visit our website www.skyispink.co.uk In the next episode, I have an argument on the ramp with a chief executive officer of Shell Petroleum and I transport a recently deceased oilman out of Port Harcourt on his final journey home to the US. Thank you and goodbye.